Hi, and welcome to this week's podcast, which today is about added value language. Now, I cover lots of topics, but I would have to say that of all the topics I cover, this is one of my favourites. This is my passion. How people express themselves, the language and the words and the tone that people use can make an absolutely massive difference to the quality of the relationship and the effectiveness of the communication. There's tons I could say about all of this, so I've had struggle in narrowing it down to the top 10. But here we go. And before I actually get into the top 10, two little quotes that I use that I think represent what I'm getting at. Firstly, make words work hard and not hard work. And secondly, speak and write to express, not to impress. Okay, so here we go. My top 10 on added value language. Tip number one, listen carefully and match. By listening carefully I'm really targeting two things from the other person. I'm targeting what they say and how they say it. What and how. They're both important. What is the content? How is the expression? So I listen carefully to the words people are actually using to express themselves so that perhaps I can play them back later. I can use some of their language which they're obviously familiar with and comfortable with, and play that back to them. So I listen carefully to the words that express their content. And I also listen for how they're speaking. What kind of pace they're using. What's their tempo? What's their range? Their register? And what's their tone? The, the emotional weight or hemp that they're carrying behind the words they use. And anywhere that I can match either their content or their tone, the more likely I am to be in rapport with them and come closer to them in establishing a positive relationship. So tip number one, listen and match. Tip number two, know the difference between the active and the passive tenses. Let me explain. The active tense always puts the subject first and the object second. Here's an example. The cat sat on the mat. The subject is the cat. Then we have the active verb sat and then the object the mat. The cat sat on the mat. Passive reverses the object and the subject. So it leads with the object the mat. Then there's the passive form of the verb was sat on by, in this case the subject, the cat. So listen to them. The cat sat on the mat. The mat was cat, sat on by the cat. Two, three things perhaps follow from this. The active is more dynamic. It's actually how we speak. So it's how I speak, not speaking is how I do it. We, we don't talk in the passive format. So let's not speak it and let's not write it be active in the use of language. It's also longer to express things in the passive format. So the cat sat on the mat is six words. The mat was sat on by the cat is eight words. So you're going to always add length and potentially complexity by using the passive format. 
There is one good reason why you would use passive though, and that's particularly in your writing. If it's immaterial or irrelevant who is doing things, which is often the case for science or processes or routines or policies, then we tend to write in the passive, because what matters is the process, not the doer. However, tip number two is be aware of the difference between the active and the passive format and select accordingly. Tip number three, and we're really getting into some detail here. Consider the difference between but and and. People will often say yes but, and whenever you hear yes but, it really interprets as no. So someone might say, yes I agree with what you're saying but, and the but actually undermines everything that's gone before. Yes I agree with what you were saying, but and the but kind of says, I don't agree really. There's too much of an objection and that's what I'm going to talk about. So the but is seen and heard as a bit of a criticism. So why not see if you can substitute but with the word and. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And. It changes the dynamic and the relationship completely. Because when you hear the word and, it's going to add to what the person has said, not subtract. So tip number three is wherever you can, substitute the word and for the word but. Tip number four. It's a similar point. It's about the difference between either or and and. So very often people will say we have to make a choice between A or B. It's a decision between A or B. And what the either or, it's either A or B, sets up is a win-lose. If there's two people or two groups, one favouring A and one favouring B, then if the decision is in favour of A, those supporting B feel a sense of loss. If the decision is in favour of B, those supporting A feel a sense of loss. So either way, whenever it's an either-or, someone loses. Whereas, if you can say, let's look if we can find a way of meeting A and B, can we come to a decision that includes what A wants and what B wants, then we're conjoining and bringing together A and B. In effect, saying, can we find a solution for A and B, is seeking a win-win. So, tip number four, see if you can replace any either-or statement with an and statement. Tip number five, use non-accusatory language. What this means is, sometimes when we're replying to somebody in conversation, we'll use a phrase which feels accusatory to the other person. Here's an example. If I were to say to you, you don't understand what I'm saying, then clearly that's a criticism of you for not being capable of understanding what I'm saying. You just don't understand. It's a critique of them. They're bound to resent it and feel hurt and damaged by it. If you say instead, I haven't made that clear, let me have another go. Let me give you an example then you're taking any responsibility for not having made it clear to yourself. I 
don't think I've made that clear. Let me let me give you an example. The other person doesn't feel defensive or criticized or damaged in any way because it's about you, not about them. So here's a really powerful tip. If you're ever going to say something in conversation that you think the other person could take as a criticism, start what you're going to say with the word I and not the word you. So in my previous example, you don't understand comes out as a criticism. I'm not sure if I've made that clear comes out as a personal reflection and correction. So to make language non-accusatory start with I not you. That's tip number five. Use non-accusatory language. Tip number six. This is what I call the, declen the declension of ownership. It's a bit, bit jargony that, isn't it? What it really means is how we use language gives a sense of how much ownership we have of what we're talking about. And the classic three components here are the difference between it, you, and I. So I need to explain that. If I were to say it's difficult, it somehow places the responsibility for the difficulty out there, away from me. And so I don't really have much ownership of it. It's difficult. Whereas if I were to say I find it difficult, the ownership is clearly mine. It's down to me to do something about it. So it's very important for me this. If you want to take ownership of something, use the I word. And if you want to avoid ownership, then you'll use it. Or you'll use any other third-party terminology. Third-person terminology, I should say. So here's an example. Um, my clothes don't fit. It sounds like it's the fault of the clothes. You know, naughty, naughty clothes. What happened in the wardrobe? My clothes don't fit. Actually, the truth is, I don't fit my clothes anymore. It's, it's a bit more painful, but it's more honest, and it will bring home to you that it's down to you, you own it, to put it right. So, my clothes don't fit, it's difficult, is all third person and removes ownership. I find it difficult, I don't fit my clothes anymore, is first person and means you have full ownership. And then midway between the it and the I is the phrase you or the word you. So let me run this past you. You know when you've got lots of priorities and you're not really sure which one to do first and so you get a bit panicky and a bit stressed and that doesn't help you get on with doing the job that you're meant to do. Now all of that sounds in a sense everyday and quite commonplace but central to that is the use of the word you. And that is now second-person use of language. Placing it with the you concept, not the I concept or the it concept. So you know when you have loads of priorities and you're not sure which to do next. It sounds just like you're talking to somebody about their lack of being able to sort through their priorities and them not knowing what to do next. In fact, when I'm coaching and I'm into a one-to-one -one conversation and somebody uses this pattern of language, Arnie, you know when you're you've got loads of priorities and you're not sure which one. I usually interrupt and say, sorry, is this about me? And they go, well, well of course not, no. So, and I say, well, who are you talking about? And they say, well, I'm talking about me. 
and I said, well, just see if you can use the word I, meaning I. So they go, okay, when I have a lot of, and all of a sudden it's, it's theirs, they own it. So replace the word you with the word I, if that's the truth. We're talking about yourself, or you're talking about yourself, not about somebody else. So if you use it or third party, or third person, I should say, my fault. If you use it or third person language, you're removing responsibility for ownership from yourself to the world out there. If you use the word you, which is second person language, it sounds as though you're talking about somebody else's responsibility, not your own. The best way of ensuring you take ownership is to use the word I. So, long way to a short point, use ownership language. Just as a rider to that, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you don't want them to feel that everything is their responsibility and that they are going to take ownership too literally and they're going to give themselves a hard time or beat themselves up or go on a guilt trip because it's all about them and their ownership, then there's a good case for reversing what I've said. And instead of the language being personal ownership, move it to the third person. Yes, it's difficult. Yeah, I can see how that could happen. Yeah, I can see this is something that needs working on. The person feels less pressured to take ownership because you're using that third person language. So, move up and down the scale. Use I language when ownership is important for that individual and use third person or even second person language if you want to take the ownership away. Okay, tip number seven. And this comes from the world of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and it's to talk about the rep system, which we often characterize through five letters, VACOG, V-A-K-O-G. And VACOG stands for Visual, Auditory, Kinesthetic, Olifactory, and Gustatory, meaning how we see things, hear things, touch and feel things, smell things, and taste things. V-A-K-O-G visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, and gustatory. And here's the point. Many of us, all of us, in fact, have those five senses through which we receive the information from the world, but we have a different blend. Some of us are, are much more visual than others. Some of us are much more auditory than others. And if you can get a sense of the other person's preference and then play back into that preference, you're much more likely to have a comfortable communicating relationship. So, for example, I'm highly visual. I will often use language that's visual. I see what you're getting at. Uh, that, looks, that looks good to me. Yeah, I get the picture. So all of that's visually based language. And I absolutely like somebody to draw me or paint a picture or a diagram, because I I understand things better through a visual representation and I can remember it more easily. And I think most of us are like that. I mean, most people are visually retentive. So let's make use of that. If you knew I was visual in my preference, then presenting me with a picture, either literally a picture on a piece of paper, drawing something in front of me, 
sketching it out or using my your hands to to show me a square with four panels in it or using visually based language I see it looks I can get the picture all of those will make me feel comfortable and more engaged so tip number seven listen out for people's VACOG blend and see if you can deliver in their preference tip number eight is the difference between questions and statements when we communicate on paper or face-to-face -face, verbally we tend to be in one of two formats we're either talking statements or questions typically if these were written down a statement would end with a full stop and a question would end with a question mark so what I'm saying now and have been saying for most of this podcast are statements and statements are really good for passing on information and creating facts so what I've been doing in this podcast is trying to give you a load of information so the statement is an appropriate form for that a question would be how are you how's things so how did you get here today so what's the best part of your job and you can probably tell straight away the point I'm going to make which is this questions are much more likely to engage people they make the other person automatically respond if I ask you a question and we've covered this on a different podcast if I ask you a question like what's the color of your front door you're hardwired to answer that you don't have to verbalize the answer just in your head you're thinking about what the color of your front door is you know if I say turn your head to the left what can you see if you turn your head to the left almost all of you will have turned your head to the left and have had a look so questions are really good for engaging people getting them to participate at least mentally but they're also good for controlling somebody else's thoughts and even actions so <clears throat> If I ask you to look down at the floor, what can you see? And you look down at the floor and tell me what you see. So I'm kind of organizing what you think and what you do simply by asking a question. So questions are very, very powerful. They engage people and they kind of control what they do and what they think. So make a judgment all the time about whether you are wanting to engage through questions or provide information through statements so tip number eight decide questions or statements and tip number nine is really about written communication using language effectively when you write and one of the things that I find really helpful is to do a readability check and this is something that's available on most uh, software programs um, word for example and you can do a readability test and the readability essentially controls for two factors long sentences and long words and most readability tests define a long word as something with three syllables or more so syllable is itself a word of three syllables my name Arnie has two syllables and skeleton has two syllables the word anti-disestablishmentarianism has lots of syllables and the longer your sentence and the more that lengthy sentence contains long words 
simply the harder it is to read. So without taking you through how to calculate a, a readability index, sometimes called a reading scale or sometimes called a fog index, and you can look those up on Google, here's the key learning point. Shorter sentences, shorter words tend to pay off. They tend to make your writing easier to access. So tip number nine, to make something more readable, use shorter sentences and shorter words. And tip number 10, some words have really high impact for good or for bad. So individual words make a powerful difference. And that's going to be the topic for next week's podcast. So just a quick recap of this week's top 10 tips. Tip number one, listen and match. Tip number two, decide whether to use active or passive language. Tip number three, see if you can substitute the word but with the word and. Tip number four, see if you can replace an either or option with an and option. Tip number five, use non-accusatory language. Tip number six, Use language to clarify ownership. Third person, it. Second person, you. Third person, I. First person, I, sorry. First person, I. Tip number seven. See if you can match other people's VACOG preferences. Tip number eight. Decide whether you want to operate in questions or statements. Tip number nine. Short sentences containing short words. And tip number 10, use high impact language and words. More of which next week. So thanks for listening. Bye for now.